Hello and welcome to another episode of Gabbing Gauchos. I'm your host, Dr. Steve, and joined as always by Coach Matt of the UCSB Triathlon team and professional triathlete Sean Harrington. We're also joined today by our special guest, who's an all-around badass, Iris Wu. Say hi, Iris. Hello. So we've got a lot of topics to cover today. First, we've got some major life updates from Sean and Matt. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the how the collegiate season went, uh, specifically nationals and something to do with queens. And then Iris is going to tell us all about the Belgian waffle ride that she did recently, one of those really crazy, super long rides that you do on mountain bikes slash road bikes slash gravel bikes. So we'll hear more about that later. So let's get right started with the life updates. So now, Matt, you did something really dumb recently. What did you do? I literally don't know. You're not sure what you did? Something dumb. I don't think what he's referring to is Ah, <laughs> I got the joke. I got the joke. Uh, <laughs> Swing I, and a miss, sorry. I got taken off the market. Sorry, I didn't get the joke. I got taken off the market. So 50% of our viewership can just close it right now. So why don't you describe uh, how you knew that it was time? Uh, she was getting more and more pushy about it. So I thought, eh. I either going to do it now or I'm going to wind up alone. And then, you know, you wait. I'm kidding. Kind of. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to answer that question. Like, it's just... The heart speaks. The heart speaks. It's easy. I think if I can give one small tidbit of relationship advice, you have to try. But if you have to try too hard, it's not the right relationship. That's wise words for sure. So how did you plan, or how far ahead did you plan the proposal out? Um, well, I, I planned it, I guess, like eight months out, because I got the ring, and I was going to do it in Kona. And then I had a thing set up in Kona after the race, and she made a passing comment as we saw like a wedding or something to do with a wedding that she wanted her family to be there for the engagement. So I didn't do it then. And then I figured I would do it in the holidays, but she had also mentioned that she thought that was kind of like overplayed. So I couldn't do it at Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's. So I waited till her birthday, which was the end of January. Okay. And then what was your plan? Ride a bike, go on a group ride. And at the end of the group ride, propose in downtown Santa Barbara. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Beautiful. It was put together at the very last minute and it worked out pretty good. Nice. So how nervous were you during that ride? Not at all until about 20 minutes beforehand. Then I got pretty nervous. And then at that point, you're trying to ride back through downtown Santa Barbara. And we were late because of Sean. What? How was it my fault? I wanted to turn around. I did all the math, and you were like, no, 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 let's go to the pier. Let's go to the pier. Let's go to the pier. It's right up here. It's the next one. It's uh, it's right up here. It's right up here. We get to the pier. Sean wants to take pictures. So we take pictures of the pier, and you were the one that wanted to take pictures. So we got back. We were like 30, 40 minutes late. But when am whatever. I ever the one that wants to take pictures? I don't, I don't know why that day you decided you wanted... Maybe you just wanted something to commemorate it with. I mean, they were pretty good pictures. Like we weren't going to get enough pictures when we got back <laughs> to downtown. Okay, well, so that was, that was super exciting. And congratulations again on the proposal. That's, that's going to be pretty amazing. And uh, So what's the next step? Uh, have you guys started planning the wedding already? Shh. Kind of. Weddings are very fucking expensive if you don't know this. And there are no laws to prevent a company from just upcharging because it's a wedding. Like if you want like 200 donuts from your local establishment for an anniversary party, whatever, like a bucket donut, you want 200 donuts for your wedding. It's like $4 a donut or like that's not illegal. Once they find out it's a wedding, they can just charge you more for the same service. That's insane. It is. It's insane. Trump should do something about it. I feel like that's is, something he would hone the in su- on. Supply and demand curve that much different for weddings? It's just the justification. Inelastic. The justification is that the people who are putting on weddings are more OCD about things being perfect, and therefore the amount of work they'd have to do on those donuts would be that much more to make sure they were perfect donuts. Whereas if you're just having them at a banquet or an anniversary celebration. They can be good donuts. They don't have to be perfect donuts. You just ask for the good donuts? <sighs> I wish. You ask for the free-range donuts? <laughs> free-range donuts, yeah. So are we expecting donuts at your wedding? That's, uh, yeah, I think it's donuts or, yeah, some Croissants. Does she like Renault's almond croissants? Oh, I'm not I'm not really good friends with Renault's, though, and those are pretty pricey. Mm. So 
if he's listening, maybe we can work out a deal, but <laughs> I can't go $6 a croissant. Oh, that would be rough for a wedding. Yeah. Although I've heard that actually one of the more expensive pieces of wedding paraphernalia is actually the flowers. Oh yeah. We're going to not do that as on the expensive end. Yeah. I think Elka wants find... to do her own bouquet stuff. You got to find yeah. alternatives. Yeah. Huh, okay. Well, that's going to be cool. Do you have a, a date pick yet? Next November ah. is the target. When it's nice and sunny in Santa Barbara. It's the off season and it's the driest month of the year. Ah. So we can do it out. Th those were the two. It's off season and it's dry. Wait, so November 2020? Yeah. Okay. okay so Sean, now you're also going to be skipping town recently. So Yeah. So I'm uh, going to be done at my job in less than two weeks and doing uh, some travel and racing uh, this summer. So going out to Colorado Springs for a little while, spending some time in the Sierras then uh, once I'm done with the race season, actually going to Peru to do some traveling there and go to the Galapagos after. And Wow. Are you going to have a job during this whole time? No. Well, unless you count being a professional triathlete. So do you actually, so are you going to be living like in a van down by the river? Or? No, unfortunately not. Um, mostly everywhere we're staying is uh, either like Laura's cabin or um, my brother has a place out in Colorado Springs. So we, we've kind of pieced everything together so that um, we always have like family or friends to stay with. Oh, that's awesome. That, I mean, that, that seems like one of the most ideal lifestyles to have, right? You get to travel all around the country. You get to do a sport that you love doing and make money at doing the thing that you love doing. Hopefully. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and see some amazing sights along the way, of course. Like, yeah. have, you ever, have you ever been to Peru before? I've been to Peru once before. Uh, it'll be Laura's first time. We're actually going with uh, my mom and Laura's mom as well. Um, we're doing the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu, that hike. So that'll be the first time I've done that part. I've done a, a different hike to Machu Picchu, but um, it'll be my first time going to the Galapagos Islands, which will be really cool. So important question. Is there a Strava segment for the Machu Picchu hike? I don't know, but I don't think we're allowed to deviate away from like our group. Um do they know who they're with? <laughs> I mean, maybe like once we hike it all, I can just go run it back and forth. I think it's only like 26 miles. So it'd just be one quick day. Straight uphill, right? No, it's just rolling. So Machu Picchu itself, I think is like eight and a half thousand feet. Um, and Cusco is like 10 or 11. So, and I, I'm not sure where it actually starts, but you do have a lot of ups and downs, but I think net is pretty flat. Every picture I've ever seen on Instagram seems to be of like the same perspective in Machu Picchu. It's like slightly up and then it's looking down. You can see the ruins of the city and then there's always like amazing mountains with clouds and everything like there's that. There's probably like a tourist shop set up right well, there. Actually, it's oh, right to their side of the picture. I yeah. think what the, the picture you're talking about is probably from Huayna Picchu, which is like this peak overlooking Machu Picchu. And so you can like hike up, up that peak and it's just this beautiful view looking down over it. That's going to be amazing. How does, um, how does that particular trip fit in with your race calendar? So my last race of the season will be at Santa Cruz, uh, I think like the 9th or something of September. Um, and then that trip is basically from the end of September through middle of October. And so basically I just really won't be training much that time. And then if John gets his way when I come back, maybe I'll get ready for Indian Wells. Um, but if the, the fitness is too long gone, that I'll probably just start training for 2020. Is Indian Wells in October or November? December. Oh, December. Yeah. Okay. So you'd only have like two months to train beforehand. Yeah, like a month and a half. I can see why he'd want you to do that. <laughs> yeah. He has he, a he's rooting chance. for it, but uh, we'll see. That's a, that'll be a game time decision. And when was the Galapagos trip? Was that right after Peru? It's all part of the same trip, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So basically, uh, I mean, since we're already in South America, my mom really wanted to go there. It's kind of on her bucket list. So we just added on a flight to the Galapagos on our way back. So did she, did your mom actually put together the whole trip herself with her own research or is she going through some kind of like travel company that knows that people want to go to this place and this place while they're in the area. And so they put together package deals. So she saw a package deal for the Inca trail and she talked me into doing it with her. And then I've basically been planning the rest. Oh, cool. So I can't be the only person who's thinking this as we just got done with my engagement story. You, your mom, your longtime girlfriend, and your longtime girlfriend's mother are going to Peru to hike Machu Picchu. Not to put you on the spot, I'm just saying. 
<laughs> no, there will not be a proposal. In, she's uh... not in the room, so it doesn't matter. You can edit. You can edit that out. Ah, she's not going to listen. Who cares? <laughs> there'll be there'll be no proposal there. That wouldn't be how Laura would want it. Oh, so. uh, okay. You're a little red. Yeah. Yeah. How how would Laura want it? I'm actually curious because there's. Well, I mean, there's a. Come on, man. <laughs> There's Let's go down this road, Sean. <laughs> like, obviously, everyone... Put a ring on it. <laughs> everyone's a little different as far as what they consider to be a romantic engagement. And obviously, for Elka, she really wanted her family near, and she didn't want it to be some kind of traditional, cliche, played-out thing. So what's Laura's perspective on it? I, I think she would prefer to be the two of us. Um, probably something kind of unique to us. Um, but beyond that, maybe not cliche. Probably wouldn't like that. So that must mean you're going to do like a hams or something before. Yeah, a ham sandwich. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about something a little bit more triathlon related since this is a triathlon podcast. So we've just finished up the collegiate season now. Matt led the team to 10th through 14th place in the collegiate mm-hmm. um, <laughs> ranking somewhere around take. there, which is you know pretty solid. And it's also similar to what we've done in years past, but it's still a great performance because, you know, there's a lot of turnover every year. So it's hard to maintain kind of your place relative to everyone. So Matt, what was kind of the story of how the season unfolded? And then let's talk more specifically about nationals in particular. Do you want to hear about us or do you want me to rant already? Let's hear about us huh? first. Okay. And then you can rant after. Um, it went well. We lost Shawnee, which was a big blow to the points and the morale. But we gained... One of them's trying to walk in right now, but anyway. Uh, we gained a couple of exchange students who were awesome, and then we got a freshman boy who is really, really good. He was actually our top draft legal scorer for the guys as a freshman. And then we got a couple of new female athletes, one's a freshman, one's a sophomore, who are also very, very good. Um, so we don't really lose. I think we lose two scores out of the eight this year, which is good. And they're more like mid-level scores. So I'm pleased. I don't really know what to say about it, except, I mean, you kind of know my philosophy on it. Like, I'm not super obsessed with the results. So I honestly, I don't, as long as they're improving, I'm not really concerned about where they place for the most part. But that, I feel like that's a longer conversation. Like, some of our athletes would be much happier people placing 35th than they would be placing 5th on the whole you're talking about just morale of how much they'd have to train in order to get there? Yeah. I actually have pretty good conversations with the coaches at Collegiate Nationals because there's a differing... Oh, I'm going to get a rant about this later too. But they're differing viewpoints on how to approach the whole thing. You know, if you go to, let's say, an NCAA program where the coach... A major program where the coach is making six figures um, and the university is grading that coach on results, there is an impetus for the athletes to be good at all costs, right? And that's some of what we see with NCAA and the problems with it. Um, Whereas at our collegiate triathlon level, there's really no incentive for us to be good. The incentive is for people to sign up so that the club continues to go. There's no financial incentive to be very good at this. Um, So just viewing it as like this freshman boy, if... He says he wants to be really good. Eddie, I'll call him out. He says he wants to be really good, and he trains really, really hard. But then you've got to balance, like, how much do you push him to make the sacrifices to go from top 10 his senior year to top three his senior year, you know? Because he's super talented, and he probably could be on the podium at some point in his collegiate career. But what's the weight of that versus just kind of like... Well, I think that's a lot for him to figure out, too, right? It's his choice, but... Maybe I'm overstating my influence on people. I feel like if I wanted to, I could turn little Iris into like very unhappy person. She's sitting right next to me. Like if from the day she walked in, if we just like preached and hammered in that this is all that matters. Um, I think that the coaches have the ability to do that if they choose. And it's more if they choose to lead athletes down that path or if they choose to let them decide if they want to go down that path does that make sense yeah absolutely i mean 
you know, there's, there's two aspects of an athlete's greatness. One is their own internal motivation and one is the motivation that's applied from the outside. And you can have one without the other and both can achieve success, but obviously it's maximized when both the coach and the athlete are on the same page. Yeah. I mean, one of the first conversations me and Sean had, um, and I think it was overstated a bit, my perspective of Sean's lifestyle, but I was somewhat warned through channels that Sean's really talented, works pretty hard, bit of a party boy. And like, it's the curly hair. Yeah. You're going to have to cut back. One of the first conversations we had was like, cause I didn't know to the extent you were a party boy, but like you to be really consistent and to do two a days on top of your PhD, there's going to be, there's going to need to be a hard bedtime for like six or 13 days out of two weeks, you know, just to maintain this consistency. If that's what you want to do, if you want to win collegiate nationals and it was Sean's decision and Sean wants to do that and live that way. But I also understand that Eddie might not. So he can kind of, or he may right now, but he may change his mind. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like one of those things that, you know, where you're at when you first start can be very different than where you want to be, you know, three or four years into your journey. So it's just often people wait till their senior year before they decide they want to turn it on. And sometimes by then it's just too late. Yeah. But if they, on the other hand, if they turn it on their freshman year, they become juniors and they see all that they've missed out on, whether it's the parties or the girls or men or whatever, however you want to put it, they've missed out on that. And then they just revert back or they drop off and their best. I think you see that a lot in NCAA athletics, the best years kids have are freshman and sophomore year. And then they fall off in major NCAA sports. And I think it's a little bit of that. The burnout rate is so high. So Iris, um, you're a senior now, right? Um, I'm currently a junior. Oh, junior. Uh, so okay. I have one more collegiate season. So you just finished your junior year. Mm-hmm. Finishing. Finishing. They're School's in, not out. They're in finals right now. Oh, oh. Ooh. Why are you here? I, I don't. I was invited about <laughs> three hours ago. She paces out her studying very well. So I'm interested in your motivation because you're one of the top girls on the team, if not the top girl on the team. And, you know, we've talked about internal and external motivation. So I'm just curious what your perspective is on the kind of motivation you receive from Matt and your own goals and your own internal motivation. Um, well, when I joined the team originally, I was kind of just looking for people to run with because I uh, ran cross country a bit in high school. I came to college, decided, like, if I join the team, I'll have friends. So um, that worked out. Uh, found people to run with, found people to exercise with, kind of got roped into the whole swimming and biking thing. Uh, picked up the biking a lot faster <laughs> than the swimming. And, uh, yeah, I just genuinely really enjoy exercising and working out, and it's a good way to do that and be around my friends. And, like, I like to race. I like to compete. Um, obviously, I want to do well for me and uh, just format also (laughs) and um i think i could say with 99 percent confidence that matt cares a lot more about us as um people rather than athletes um and obviously he does want us to do well but he cares more that we're happy and i think that's a very very important part of all of our development as triathletes on on this team at least on that note specifically with iris one of the things that uh i did push her to do was stop running marathons in the middle of triathlon season. And I'll just give you my my thought points on it, because she clearly likes it. There's a plane. Uh, One of the things that we talked about, and I didn't really, like, push her on until she was a sophomore, was you can keep running marathons while you do collegiate triathlon and end up missing a couple of months of collegiate triathlon race season and not racing very well in collegiate triathlon races season to go do these marathons or you can just not do these for like two or three years. And then you've got another 50 fucking years to run marathons with running groups and old people. You can go back and do that, but you cannot experience this again. Like if you're skipping our bike and swim workouts to go run by yourself, you've got 50 years to go run by yourself. You don't have much time left to have a group ride set for you 
when it works around your schedule, you know, when it works around your schedule with your friends. Um, but that was one of those things that I like thought about for a year before I was like, I think you'd be better off not doing this for a couple of years. Well, like Matt said before, he could have the power to um, turn so-called little Iris into <laughs> She's a, very, very small. <laughs> a very unhappy person. And um, it's, it's true, he does have that power because I genuine, generally listen to everything he says when it comes to exercise. And um, I do think that not running as much and not doing these marathons have definitely helped me as a triathlete and brought me a lot closer to the team. So you went to nationals. How did you do? Um, I think I did okay for for me. I um, think I my bike and my run have definitely improved. I would say um, probably top forty on the bike, top thirty on the run. Um, I think it's funny that you didn't <laughs> mention. <laughs> the I, mean, no, I uh I think I was two hundred sixty eighth on the swim. So uh. Right around the halfway point. <laughs> so what was your goal? Was your goal to have fun at Nats or was your goal to turn yourself inside out and have like a really good result? I mean, I turn myself inside out on every race. Can't that's they just, both be fun, Steve? Yeah, that's just... I don't know. Not for everyone. <laughs> I think generally how I race is uh, I try to get out of the water and then I start to go as hard as I possibly can. Um and by the time I'm on that run, I just, I run till I feel like I want to pass out. And if I do, I feel like that's a good performance for me. And is that how nationals turned out? Generally, yeah. Um, I ended up doing the draft legal and the Olympic. Both were kind of non-draft because uh, I came out of the water so late on the draft legal that I just rode by myself the entire time. But that being said, I don't think I ran as hard on that day just because I didn't feel like I really had to. But I had fun regardless. So So what did it feel like coming down the finishing chute? Um, on which for which race? For Wh- both whichever was more memorable, I suppose. I mean, I think it feels gen- generally the same every time. I'm just like happy to be done. Happy to point. be done and worried about passing out. And um, I think I, I remember the draft legal day a lot more than I remember <laughs> the Olympic day. So um, I remember... When I started the run on Draft Eagle Day, I was mo- like mostly just passing a lot of the girls because um, I was just a stronger runner, I would say, than the girls that um, got off the bike. Uh, some of the girls that got off the bike ahead of me, the, the ones that are, were really strong had already been finishing the race at that point. So um, I remember like I still had some kick in the end to be able to pass a couple girls right at the finish, but on the Olympic distance day, I was... I was just trying to hang on by that point. And um, yeah, I uh, tried to throw in a kick, didn't really work, and then uh, hopped in the ice bath. What was the team dynamic like? Because I know every year the team usually picks a theme and then they dress up and then they're out screaming their heads off at, at um, you know teammates as they're going by and stuff. What, what did you guys do this year for that? Um, the idea was Floatopia. Um, Mostly because it was the easiest to organize, and I think, <laughs> I think it worked out really well. Like everybody was really into it. They went and bought floats, and everybody was in like beach gear, and um, I think it was the most cohesive theme we've had in a very long time. Just because people felt like they could actually embody it. I think when we sometimes when we think too hard about something, like we have to remember that people need to be spirited enough and want to channel this theme in order for it to work. But I think uh, I think it worked out a lot better this year just because it was something we would do on the regular anyway. So what would you say to an incoming freshman who hasn't been to Nats yet who's thinking about whether or not they should go? Oh, um, they should absolutely go. I think Nationals is always like the best time of the year. You get to travel with your team. You're skipping school for like five days and <laughs> it's awesome like you get to basically hang out with your friends for five days and then you go home and you sleep a lot so matt back to the the coach's perspective of nationals you're not going to ask iris about her ideal engagement <laughs> well if she wants to talk about it she can <laughs> does he does uh, iris have some uh, man in the background waiting to propose why are you looking at me i don't know 
I don't know. Boulder hasn't asked yet. <laughs> oh, zing. <laughs> okay, so back on the coach's perspective of, of nationals. So you mentioned earlier that there was something to do with Queens or or is that are you talking about the team or the actual location? Oh, uh, the I, the team. So there's a team from Queens, like as in Queens, not New, New York. York. No, no, not the good Queens. Um, not the cool Queens, I should say. So this is the dynamic that's at play. <clears throat> and I'm not going to lie. When I first became coach, it seemed really an easy thing to do because each university decides what qualifies as an eligible full-time student in club sports. It's not over, it's not like NCAA. So each university can decide. So theoretically, I could take a night class in the fall. Uh, Waltman could take a night class in the fall. And Steve, you could take a night class in the fall. We could go race collegiate nationals, go, in my humble opinion, maybe one, two, three. I won't say the order that I would expect, but, uh, and win these national championships having like literally taken one three hour course in the fall failed it as long as the university was cool with that qualifying as okay you can be a member of a university club sport um so essentially maybe not that extreme is what queens has done they are an ncaa women's school um so they have the official women's team They've leveraged that with a coaching program that has recruited high-level males ages 23 to 28, 29 that don't even necessarily live where the university is. They take a few online courses to get their business in pursuit of their, you know, MBA, train as a professional triathlete, meet up at conference, then meet up at collegiate nationals and try and dominate collegiate nationals. So they got into a little bit of trouble through USAT and USAT was going to input a rule trying to control this. And then at the last second, USAT caved and didn't alert any of the other schools that they were about to cave. And at their annual voting, whatever thing in the spring, uh, they voted differently than what they had told us was going to happen and tried to brush it under the rug. Um, so Queens came back to compete and the other sticky thing is you can't officially be an NCAA athlete and a club sport athlete, right? But again, it's up to the university. So you can switch back and forth. You can be an NCAA athlete on Wednesday and a club sport athlete on Thursday. And an NCAA athlete, that's super extreme. But you can compete in NCAA triathlon in the fall, switch to the club team, compete in the spring. I think they got... They felt so much blowback. They didn't do that. Uh, they didn't bring their whole NCAA women's team to collegiate nationals. Um, they did bring women, good triathletes, but they didn't bring the women that were at the top of the NCAA program to compete in the spring. Uh, so that's the... I'm trying to be like as objective as I can be. That's the gray area. The kids have done nothing wrong. Um, they're just taking classes that they're probably getting heavily subsidized. I would imagine because it's a private university in Charlotte that can, they're just, they can decide they can do whatever they want to do. It's a private university. Um, so they're probably getting an essentially a free MBA online and getting to do collegiate triathlon and getting the publicity that comes along with that through USAT. But the frustration from the coach's perspective is it feels like USAT doesn't really want to deal with this. Um, and it's effectively made it impossible for somebody like Eddie, the freshman boy, to ever win collegiate nationals or Iris to ever win collegiate nationals because we're going to have the top 10 is going to be probably soon enough dominated by online class students who are professional triathletes who want to come do collegiate nationals to get on USAT's Instagram page. Wasn't there a rule that you couldn't have a pro card and race collegiate nationals? Nope. though? not in my lifetime, or oh, not since right. I've done collegiate nationals. Right, otherwise Sean wouldn't have been able to race. Yeah, yeah. You can get your pro card. The top five athletes in both draft legal and the classic um, qualify can, for their pro can card. get their pro card. But um, yeah, there's nothing to stop pros from competing. That's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, it's basically it's not that different. None of the rules have changed. It's just that. 
now programs are viewing it as worth taking advantage of. So how do you fix that? What's the incentive for them? Like, what is that's my question? Gaining so out of this, my incentive when I thought about doing this would literally be the same thing. Like, if UCSB just suddenly dominates collegiate triathlon, nobody's going to ask any questions about it. They're just going to be like, "Oh, these athletes are really good. Their coach must be really good, and you're going to be able to get private business from that." So I imagine that's what you can do. They're doing, or you can leverage that into a better job at USAT. A more high-paying coaching job at USAT. If USAT thinks you're doing a good job as a coach, they're always pathways. They start up a new youth, like a junior development team, it seems like every two to three years. And then every two to three years, they just fire the coach that was doing that and start another junior development team with the next hot 30-something-year-old coach. Is, is there any relation between the Queens program and like that Northeastern development program? Or just some of the overlapping several of the of, yeah it's, it's overlapping of their athletes i'm not privy to um as you can imagine they don't really want to talk about it because the only time people want to talk to them about it is approaching them with like wtf are you guys doing so um understandably their point of view is like we had a meeting before collegiate nationals with all the coaches and with usat and usat and the Queens program that was there, they don't really want to talk about it because they know all they're going to get is shit about it. Right. So it's hard to, and it's a private university. So we're never going to know what's nothing has to be released, like how they go about deciding who's eligible, who isn't eligible. Um, I guess if it were me, if I was a, a private university like that, I would use this loophole as an opportunity to essentially advertise. Yeah. Cause university. it's a, it's one of those, because I really didn't know small, Queens existed. No, it's a tiny little, it's a tiny university in downtown Charlotte that's really fucking expensive to attend. Um, and a lot of the NCAA women's triathlon signups fit that mold. They're little private universities that are really, really expensive that don't exactly stand out in any realm of academics or sports. Not Except to be harsh. Yeah, not to be harsh, but those are the... You look through the list of NCAA sign-ons, there are 20 of them. You're not going to have heard of 12 or 13 of them. I guess I should have plugged it in or something, or I just need to wiggle, wiggle a mouse every now and then. Wiggle, 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 wiggle. Isn't there like a band called The Wiggles for Kids or something? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that was what Matt was referring to, though. Do you get that reference? Are you old enough to know that reference? <laughs> did you get the living in a van down by the river reference? That's what I want to know. No, I did not. All right, sweet. We've crossed that bridge. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> What were we talking about? We were talking about... That'd be a fun game to play. Do you get the reference? Yeah. How many... How separated are we from Iris? Okay. I'm 10 years older than Iris. For Sean's like nine years older and Steve's 11 or 12 years at or least, more. At least. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years like exactly. You're 21. Yeah, yeah. yeah like we're years. like a week apart birthday-wise. Yeah. 14 years then for me or 13. Nice. We should have the team on to do a Do You Get That Reference round. That would be fun. <laughs> Just bring like three or four of them in. We had a moment with with eddie about that the uh the other day we were hanging out and jared was playing music he was playing uh move along by all american rejects and we were all singing along to it and eddie said i don't know this song and jared said there's the gap between juniors and freshmen <laughs> wow because i mean that was a popular song when i was in college yeah when i was in high school when i was eight <laughs> when eddie was five <laughs> there's the gap yeah. well, what about the the last thing with queens though the, the oh all right no this relay. is really this is really good this will get your uh all right so this is how much how upset i guess people are about this because like i said it's not that big a deal right now but it will be a big deal if in five years if you can't be in the top 30 unless you are attending this tiny little private school taking an online class and being a 30-year-old professional triathlete. you know, Then it'll be a big deal. Um, Queens raced their final race in kits that had sleeves on. And USAT is so terrible about getting their officials on the same page. Like We have pre-race meetings every year. An official will say one thing. Another official will come up, whisper in the ear of that official, and then they'll change what they just... like. It, there's no... Just none. Like, I'm not afraid to say that. They have... It's like they're bringing in people off the streets the week before and being like, 
here's our rule book that has contradictory things in it that is too thick for us to read through and pick out the contradictory things. Anyway, um, they raced in sleeves and same deal. You can find a rule that says not to, you can find a rule that says they can in the USAT rule, like in the rule book, you can find both rules that say it's cool. So they raced in sleeves as did many other schools. They won obviously because what we just talked about and, uh, a team filed an official complaint and you have to file the complaint quickly. It has to be decided quickly. Apparently they filed with an official who either didn't know all of the rules or thought this was the rule DQ'd Queens. Real kicker is they didn't tell Queens until the award ceremony that night. So Queens thinks they won. They dominated the results um, in all, in all aspects of of the weekend well they're gonna do the awards and they alert queen they give a heads up to the schools like this is our top five and there was like a long pause and then they handed out the queen still got like second or third overall without scoring in one of the three events that's how dominant they were um and berkeley won and they were announced the winner and there were all of these like hissy fit to do's at Collegiate Nationals, where what I'm not even going to get into that because someone will get really mad at me if I call him out. Um, <clears throat> and he's one of those really loud guys that you don't want to be mad at you, even though he's not really that powerful. He just likes to yell a lot. Um, but when the shit hits the fan, he runs away. So anyway, uh, um, then Queens, as I understand, this might, please don't, I don't mean this for a fact, but as I understand that they hired a lawyer to pursue, um, the re what is it? There's a legal word for it. I'm blanking like to fight the complaint. Like you can, does anybody know? Like if you're not a retrial, but, uh, ah, oh, geez, this is going to kill me. You're going to have to edit this out. Ah, oh, this is killing me. I think you should leave it. Oh, ah, this is killing me anyway. Okay. So USA, USAT makes a decision. But then you have a right to an extended process where you can fight that decision, whatever that is, you know, Supreme or a local, a state Supreme Court s decides a rule, then you appeal. You can appeal. Oh. That's the word I wanted. You thought it was going to start with R. I don't know. It's appeal. So There's they not got even an R in appeal. Okay, shut up, Steve. They got <laughs> they got uh, they got a lawyer together and a legal team to file an appeal against USAT, and ultimately, again. USAT caved and changed the results of collegiate nationals like 10 days after collegiate nationals had happened and the awards had all been handed out. So I don't know how you can look much worse if you're USA. Again, I, I want, they screwed it up the, the first year I got second as well, or maybe the second year I got, second. I don't think they've ever gotten the points entirely right. It's just, they normally get like the top three, right. And then they can deal with all the other, no, they screwed that up. They did. Yeah. They, they gave me the Omnium. Um, and they announced the, Navy as having second. won the whole thing. Yeah, that That's was three years ago. They announced Navy as having won. And then like a minute later, Navy's coach and the Colorado coach who had both done their own math went up there and were like, are you sure about this? Because we did our math and we don't think this is correct. So I think they scored the draft legal that year as just one point per spot yeah. rather than five points per spot, which then can change the, the results quite a bit. Yeah. Bottom line is USAT doesn't know the rules. So, and they don't have... And a steady enough, I guess, steady enough employment to have people that know the rules from year to year to year. And the uh, guy that you have to talk to, like the CEO of Collegiate Triathlon or whatever, he's such a smooth talker. You can just like never get anything done. It's Sounds really... like the mark of a good politician. No, he's really, really, really good. So they, the morning, uh, we had the meetings and everything. And then race morning, they made, he made an announcement over the loudspeaker concerning like a racking rule that was different than what we had been told the night before. I went up on stage and was like, I'm having people from other schools come up to me asking like what the rule is. And I don't remember what he said to me, but in 15 seconds, he had sweet talked his way right by me to be being like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And me walking away and then realizing like, wait, he hasn't fixed anything here. Kids still are confused. He doesn't know what's going on, but he made, like, I think he basically just told us that he the, the rule wasn't going to be enforced. The oh, yeah, yeah, that's what he did. He's like, yeah, no one's getting any penalties for it. He was like, we, we just won't enforce the rule, essentially. 
but he he also threw in there like how hard they're working and like how next year it's going to be better that everything's going to be taken care of and you know we're always on top he's just really good they also he made the kayaks turn that one girl around for going around the buoy on the the wrong side this... or not the wrong side on what he thought was the wrong side even though at the meeting we'd been told that we could do either side of it so specifically at the race meeting you're told what are turn buoys and what are siding buoys. You can go to either side of a siding buoy. They were different colors and everything. This uh, University of Florida lady was a solid 30, 45 seconds up on the field in a draft legal 750 race. She was going to the right side around the siding buoy, specifically siding buoy. This guy that's on the microphone that is supposedly the head of collegiate triathlon announces over the PA that she's messing up and she needs to be stopped and told to go around the buoy. So the kayakers go out there, stops her. She argues with them, like obviously saying, no, at the race meeting, this is what we were told. This is what the officials told us. He makes her go back around. I That was the first time I talked to him because I went up and told him, like, you should probably apologize to that girl and her family because everybody here, all 1,500 people, think she did something stupid and she did the right thing, and it's only her and the coaches and you that know she did the right thing. No, never, no, never, never going to publicly correct that mistake. Politicians don't correct their mistakes. They just talk around it. Oh, gosh. So that poor girl. If you're listening, shout out. I'll, uh, I'll steal the mic at next year's Collegiate Nationals if you tell me your name and announce that you were in the right. Wow. We can find her. She got the fastest swim split. Anyway, she got yeah. the fastest swim split anyway, but it cost her the opportunity to ride away. She was just in the main group. Must have been a swim background. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, easily that kind of gap at collegiate nationals. She had the very dominant, very dominant. Okay, so I think we we pretty much exhausted the interesting topics of nationals. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I want to turn to the last subject of the day, which is Iris. You did this San Diego ride. It's called the Belgian Waffle Ride. So I've never done anything like that. Did you have to change your bike at all to do this? I was wildly unprepared. Uh, but I did put some bigger tires. I had my road bike, a uh, very small road bike with rim brakes. So the biggest tires I could fit were 28s. And I was just like, okay, that's what, that's what we're working with. But, uh, that's, that's basically all I did. So what is this race all about? Like how long is it? Where is it? Is it flat? Um, it was in San Diego County. Um, it was not flat. But it had, I think it was 133 miles total and had like 46 miles of like dirt, like loose dirt. Um, They were like mountain biking trails for the most part. Um, And the idea is that you take whatever bike you have and you go and ride all this different type of terrain and see if you can (laughs) make it to the end. So it's, it's literally just finish, just try to finish? Um, I mean, there, there is a pro field that goes out and like races it, but... I was not one of them. There is a time cutoff though, right? Yeah. Yes. I don't remember what it was. It's basically sunset. So you get like 14 hours. I made it before then. hours, yeah. Do the pros ride gravel bikes or are they riding basically road bikes? Um, I think there were some pros that did ride, ride gravel bikes, but a lot of them rode uh, road bikes with disc brakes and um, tubeless tires. And... There's like 90 miles of road, so I think the idea is that if you can get through the dirt as quickly as you can, you can still hammer on the road for 90 miles with a lighter, speedier bike. So what was the course support like? There Were there a, a lot of aid stations? Oh yeah, it was fantastic. They had like a bunch of food, a bunch of water, electrolytes. Um, I think they had at least at least 10 uh, yeah, they had a lot. feed Every feed hour zones, at least. they would call it, yeah. Um, so... Like it was, it was very well put together, but, um, it just depends how prepared you are for something like that, I guess. So how many times did you have to stop? Um, I ended up riding with a couple friends from San Diego and I was much slower on the dirt than they were, but generally at the end of every long dirt section, there was an aid station and we will all regroup and then we all ride the road together. And then we would hit the ne- next dirt section. I would drop back a ways. And then we regroup. And it wasn't until the very end where there was like a really big long stretch of dirt that I, uh, we, we ended up just getting too s- spread out 
but by that point I could just ride the rest of it on my own. Did you do any special preparation? Because that's like significantly longer than I think most people typically ride. Um, I just like to ride my bike a lot. Uh, I did, I did a, a hundred mile ride by myself, uh, one Friday cause I didn't have class and <laughs> as one does. So I just got up in the morning. I, uh, got my bike and I, I rode, um, I rode up OSM and pain the cave across the 154. Uh, did, uh, rode up fig, did that loop and then came back up dirt refugio and then back home. And that took like half my day. Um, more <laughs> but under nine hours <laughs> under nine hours <laughs> that is a significant effort that's yeah. pretty amazing but um that was definitely like the biggest ride i did before then other than that i would ride with a man nelka every weekend um i had ridden probably less than 20 miles of dirt in my lifetime before that ride and it was solely when man nelka dragged me around like elwood and more mesa and things like that so. Did you did you crash or see any crashes? I definitely crashed. I crashed within like the first twenty miles of the race. It was pretty immediate. Um, I came around a a dirt corner and slid out, fell down, got back on my bike, was ready to like clip in and keep going. Everybody around me was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I thought this would happen like ten miles ago. I'm I'm ready. Like I'm ready to go." Um, and they were like, "Okay." And so I'm just, like, kind of bloody, like, arm, like, basically dripping. And so everywhere I went, people were like, did you crash? Are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. Like, <laughs> just another day in the life of Iris? I've been worse. Did you have uh, Did you have fun? Would you do it again? Uh, yeah, it was fun. I beat Matt. <laughs> oh, a DNF. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I did. I had, a, I had a really good time, actually. Like, I met a lot of cool people, and I think... I took the dirt section so slowly that I was never really going that hard. I made sure I ate enough, drank enough, so it took me forever, but I didn't feel that bad at the end of it. Like, I never felt like I really bonked or, like, needed to stop and cry, so I'd say that was a success. Would you change anything on your bike for next time, or? New bike. <laughs> New bike. I, I don't think there's much more I can do with my bike, okay. but if I if I did it again, I think I would want something with disc brakes and like probably thicker tires but um but that was the best i could do so what do you think about next year do you think you're gonna try to get some of the team to come with you and do it again uh, i don't even know if i'm gonna do it again but um i know like a couple kids on the team probably would get a get, a, get an absolute kick out of that um i think a lot of those boys with the right equipment would really enjoy uh really enjoy riding something like that um, but it just depends. It's also a, a hassle to like mobilize more people than just myself. She doesn't want to be responsible for dealing for babysitting a bunch of other people. This is facts. Well, thanks for the report on that. That was pretty cool. You're welcome. And thanks for being on the show. It was great to have you. You're also welcome. So there's one more thing that I want to talk about before we go. Um, we actually had a listener question the other day and that is Matt. This is for you. What's oh the difference between a lactate threshold test and a VO2 max test? Um, they will tell you essentially the same things because it's all just drawn out on a, on a plot. Um, if you know someone's lactic threshold, you can get a pretty good guess at their VO2 max. If you know their VO2 max, they hit lactic threshold at some point in the test. So VO2 max would basically just be a test of failure. Um, but, it does, but they can be quite different for certain athletes. They can be quite or, I mean, like, yeah, it depends the, on the, how you define the, quite um, and the type of for someone like us. If you're extremely well trained, like if you're top 1% of the triathlon world, you're more likely to get more variance than for 99% of the age groupers because that top 1% is coming from very specific backgrounds, usually a collegiate background and something. So, for example, I still will probably do very, very well on a VO2 max test um, compared to a lactic threshold test. And that's from the first, from the time I was like 12 to 22 doing soccer, tennis, and like mile on the track type stuff. That's a VO2 max effort. So I will do better at that than somebody who from the age of 12 was focused on 
the 5k and the 10k and then moved on to half marathons like immediately and some of its genetic gift i think sean's probably a sean not probably sean is definitely a better lactic threshold athlete than i am i think if we both train for vo2 it would probably become closer to level because i'm just generally all my life been more gifted at that than lactic threshold so lactic threshold is the one that's associated with endurance and vo2 max is associated with max speed Sort of. So basically like your VO2 max effort would be like, say like 10 minutes is like, if you were to do like an all out, you know, say 3k or something, depending on your athlete, it's something you could sustain for about 10 minutes. You're operating at VO2 max then. Um, whereas your lactic threshold is more like your hour. So, you know, somewhere between, you know, 10 miles and, a, you know, well, not quite a half marathon. Yeah. Right? yeah. Lactic threshold is associated with sustainability, sustainability of effort. But interestingly enough, VO2 max tests do not, if you take someone's VO2 max and pace it VO2 max, it's not a good predictor of how they will score at a run from 800 to a marathon. If you take someone's pace at lactic threshold, it is an extremely good predictor of how they'll do it everything from an 800 to a marathon. Even though there's such a strong relationship. Yeah, even because it's the gap between. So hypothetically, if my VO2 max pace is probably somewhere around 445 or 450 probably um but my lactic threshold pace let's just say it's 540 sean's is probably a much narrower gap between those two some of that is specific training and some of that is genetic huh. okay and so, so if you have, have a narrower gap then you're more con it's like saying you're more consistent over distances yeah you'll be able to go longer we all know the old guys in the group ride that just want to sit and pull for three and a half hours yeah but they can't, their 10 second power isn't much better than their three and a half hour power. And your VO2 max will like diminish quite a bit over, yes. as you age. So And quickly if you don't use it. If, if, if you're older, an older athlete, that's something you really want to keep working at. Otherwise it will go away. Um, and it's also something that, you know, you need to train to like kind of keep your top end still good. So you, you can't neglect VO2 max work. Yeah, the theory is you can't, if your lactic threshold pace is 530 and your VO2 max pace is 520, you cannot get any faster until you improve your VO2 max pace. That's a theory. We don't, all of the stuff, like you don't really know in practicality. Um, so if you're listening to this and you happen to be on the trainer right now or running, it's time to do a VO2 max interval. If you are a triathlete, it's probably always time to do a VO2. If you are an age group triathlete, it's probably never a bad idea to toss in some VO2 max. Unless you're that top 1% coming from a swim or a collegiate run background. And, and just to kind of bring it right back to your the listener's question at the beginning, if you're actually doing these tests in a lab, like the VO2 max, like the way they would often do that is they have like a mask on you. And they're measuring basically at what point the your body no longer is absorbing more oxygen. So like as you breathe in, what you exhale, as the pace gets faster and faster, at some point you will no longer be able to utilize any more oxygen. So even though your pace is improved, like going faster, you're, you're not able to absorb any more oxygen. And then for the lactic threshold, they'll just like pin prick you or something and look at the lactic level in your, um, in your blood. And at some point that will basically kind of like turn up a lot for pace. Mm -hmm. And it's like right before that turns up a lot, that that's your lactic threshold. Cool. That was super informative, guys. Thanks a bunch. We will catch you guys later. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Gavin Gouches, and we'll see you next time.